0: One cold night, science and evil collide.
1: Howie horror homies, and happy horror days! Today, Joe Bob joins me to interview Mr. Michael Cooney, who wrote and directed one of my favorite holiday horror movies, Jack Frost. Thanks for joining us, and let's get festive. Alright, howdy, homies, it's Diana, and I'm here with my sidekick, Mr. Joe Bob Briggs, and our very special guest, Mr. Michael Cooney. Thank you so much for being here.
2: You're, you're welcome. It's uh, always lovely to talk about Jack Frost at this time of year. It is honestly what gets me in the holiday spirit more than anything, is talking about this little film.
1: Oh, my God, I love that. I love this movie so much.
0: Yeah. We we had – I don't know if you're – I think you're aware of this, but we, we – um, we featured the movie last year um, on our on the show, The Last Drive-In, and um, it, it, it's it's always surprising to me. We, we have I, I would say about half the people regarded it as a um, standard cult f- Christmas film that they watch frequently. That's
1: me, holiday yes. classic. <laughs> and, and
0: the other half said, "Thank you for introducing us to it." <laughs> so we wanted to ask you. Um, you know how how uh, how often are you asked to talk about it? Or how often are you approached about Jack Frost?
2: Well, look, I, I I I missed when you first when it was first broadcast last year. I, I missed the initial bit, and I, I watched it a couple of months later. It was so much fun to watch you guys doing it. I thought you were just awesome, and I loved how much love and appreciation you guys seem to have for the project. And it was oh. unexpected. The detail that you guys had gone into, when you started talking about my dad, which I adore, uh, and to know that that is the origin of Jack Frost does actually begin somewhere on a Whitehall stage. It's that those elements are you know, in my bones, and I cannot escape it, and they come out in Jack Frost. That was lovely. No one ever puts those stitches together. That that was lovely to see. Really?
0: So, so you're saying I was right. I was... <laughs> You know, because totally. I was watching, I, I was watching the quirky. You know, you, uh, I, I would say that your script is quirky, and your and the acting is quirky, but it's quirky in a particularly British sort of way, uh, in my opinion. Even though it's a very American, it seems to be a very American movie. But it, um, I've never been to the Whitehall farces, so <laughs> so you know, it's kind of a strange um, 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 uh, world to us. But um, but it's but it struck me that the you know the guys uh, uh, from Monty Python and the other the other English humorists that we've been exposed to over here uh, that it that it was that type of humor precisely. Absolutely, and I think that also comes through
2: in in my casting of it. I think the, the idea that I had is I wanted that sort of the central element is in fact the sheriff Sam and. Chris Allport, this lovely actor, straight actor, the, who, very grounded. He's got a background in daytime drama. Uh, and so that was a very, I hoped, was a sort of a grounded performance. And the idea of the casting was that the further you got away from him, the more character uh, the performance you got, uh, ending up with the lovely, wild you know, Scott McDonald as Jack Frost himself. So... I am naturally attracted to a slightly more theatrical performance, simply because that's how, you know how I grew up, um, and so there is. But what you hope is there is a consistency to it. Is, is it that I think is is when the casting doesn't work is when something is jarring and jolting and a performance is very different but my hope is is that I was able to blend the performances starting at the center as i said with Sam and going all the way out to Jack but yeah those that's what i'm naturally attracted to is those is that is a theatrical performance
0: yeah well i thought you you did that very well because mm-hmm. you you hired a, 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 an all-star cast of character actors you hi- you hi- you hired all these actors who are probably not well known by name to the public, but who have hundreds and hundreds of character actor credits. And, um, and it, and it did develop into a, I I always think character actors are much better trained actors than movie stars simply because they work so much more and they have to do so many different types of things. But, um, uh, but it, it, it did seem like a, a, um, a, a well-blended ensemble um, of really talented people.
2: And also, I absolutely agree, they were lovely people. This is, I don't know if you've heard me speak about this film before, but it is you know, fraught with problems and disasters, and which was great fun to try and beat. But the actors worked with us. They were all game. They were all fabulous. Even though I do, one of the things I often talk about is the weather didn't work for us. When we went to shoot up in Big Bear, it was 90 degrees and windy, and you can tell that by all the fake snow blowing about. (laughs) But at night, it got freezing, and some of the nighttime shooting was pretty gruesome when we had to go out and about up in the mountains. And uh, Chris Allport, in particular, would bring his ukulele along the actor who played Sam and would just gather the entire cast and crew that wasn't busy in some little hut and everyone would sing around a ukulele in a, a, a gas heater. So it was lovely Aww. camaraderie was going on. That's
1: so cool.
0: That's great. Were you now what this was your first um uh directing job as a as a for a feature film.
2: That is correct, yeah but made a couple of little uh, short films uh, really in preparation for this uh, but it was never my intention to direct it um, at one point Jack was a, a bigger budget piece that had a large um, Hollywood director attached but that all that collapsed and uh, apex did that,
0: did, did that collapse because the studio had no faith in the in the project, or
2: so all of these stories are they're not, they are they 're not first hand stories these are second hand stories, but I, this is what I believe happened so it was Rennie Harlan who was uh, attached to direct it, and it was going to be this big budget for me it was twenty five million dollars back in the day. Wow. And we we were having meetings and and talking about it. It was gonna be fantastic. It was right around the time of the the T one thousand in the second Terminator. And so I thought, wow, you could do all these. It was a it was set in a larger city at that time and really focused on a serial killer that becomes the different elements of snow and ice and water. And I thought the CG was gonna be able to do that beautifully, and that's what Rennie Harlan thought he was gonna do. It was a big action piece. And then what I heard is that his girlfriend read it. And said it's the worst thing she's ever read. And, and anyway, she wanted to do a a pirate movie, and that was uh, what Rhode Gina Davis and Cutthroat Island. Yeah, so we went our separate ways at that Keep point.
0: Wrong. That's <laughs> terrible. Now you mentioned you mentioned the 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 science of water and ice. Um, uh, tell me, tell me this, uh, tell me the, uh, how you see the science oh of, of the, uh, of Jack Frost. He is because, baffled by that. No, no, no. Because you, you cannot, <laughs> you can only kill Jack Frost. You cannot kill Jack Frost when he is pure water. Is that correct? You can only kill him when he's, when he has some substance to him, or you can ho- only I think that
2: what, what the, the, the science that when you, we haven't killed Jack yet. We, we just keep Ooh. putting him back in the bottle. Um, and that the you're going to have to find a way to actually separate on an atomic level his dna from the the water molecule i think then as long as his dna is fused with any h2o in any in any form you're not getting jack out of the ice cubes so okay. even though in number 2 when we destroy him with bananas that the <laughs> <laughs> that the uh, he's he's still in there. So if if you know if, if I ever get around, which I would love to to making a third one, Jack will be back full on personality, and he'll oh, he'll be there ready to go.
0: Now, are you? Um, did, did you did you have aspirations to direct, or was this you know you you're primarily a writer and and yeah. and um, uh, did 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 you did you want to direct, or was it sort of like Um, you you would step into the breach just to get the project made.
2: It was more that. It was, it was stepping into the breach to get the project made that the uh, there was very little money to make the movie. And my two great mates, uh, Vicky Slotnick and Jeremy Page um, who created the whole thing with me. uh, It was, it was Vicky who said uh, when it was Prism who found this in a bargain basement after the Rennie Harlan debacle fell apart, that, that, Three years later, two years later, Prism found this and said, "Found the script," and said, "Can you make it for a million dollars?" And Vicky Slonik said, "Of course you can. You can. It was a twenty-five million dollar budget, and he's, you can do anything." And and so, but there's, um, but Michael will have to direct it, which I I didn't really ask for, but that Vicky had great belief in me and what I wanted to do with it for a million dollars of how you could make it. Uh, And so that's how that happened. Look, my my work, I've seen seen James Mangold direct identity. I could not do what he did. That was just so magnificent and elevated my work enormously. So when a director comes along who does that to your writing, I don't want to touch it. it. You only want to jump behind the camera when you can see things going wrong and you have a vision for how it could be better. But I have been... Very fortunate to have directors who've looked at my work and understood it and elevated it.
0: Um, tell us a little bit about how you end up in Hollywood in the first place, because I mean, you grew up in in the UK and you grew up at the in the in the theater world, and not just the theater world, but the the um, the 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 uh, com- the British comedy theater world with. Uh, yep. I would imagine you were surrounded by all the great British comedians as you grew up, and so how do how do you end up um, leaving all that and coming across the ocean?
2: Well, this is one of these stories that you don't know where to to begin. There's always something that happened before, but the, what I find interesting is that yes, I grew up in the in the theatre and all of those stories that go with that. And I thought that was kind of ordinary because that was my world and I wanted to be a geography teacher. And (laughs) what I I didn't realize that this apparently was a huge disappointment to my mom and dad, that I actually wanted to be a teacher and didn't want to follow their (laughs) footsteps. Uh, And I actually went, I, I got into Exeter University to study geography. And before I went, I had this realization that that's not at all what I wanted to do. And then there is these transitions. I thought I wanted to be a photographer for a moment. So I I went, I studied industrial photography at college. And when I was studying industrial photography is when I saw the people across the hall who were doing media studies, making little movies. And I thought that looked great fun. And when they needed an actor, I would jump in and be an actor for them. And at this point, my mum and dad were hugely relieved and went, Oh, thank goodness, that's what he wants to do. He wants to be an actor. (laughs) And I I know, it's so, so. So I I auditioned um, at Rada and wherever you audition in London. And they talked about my dad, which was totally cool because that's all anybody did. I was, that's, I utterly expected that, that that people would want to talk about my dad. My brother, meanwhile, happened to move to Australia, and I went to visit him, and I stopped down for three days in Los Angeles, not knowing anything about the place, and I was wandering around West Hollywood, and I saw the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute, which I had never heard of, and I walked in and said, hello, I'm Ray Cooney's son, please may I have an audition, and they went, who's Ray Cooney?, And a tiny little bit of rebellion inside of me, I think, thought, oh, that's interesting. They don't know who my dad is. So if anything happens, and, you know, (laughs) nothing did, but uh, if anything happens, it will be on my own merit. And so I I said to my dad, how can we make this happen? And he has always been incredibly supportive. And his point of view was, and how about this for great parenting, is if you wanted to be a doctor, I'd have to put you, uh, you know, through college and pay for that. And you'd have a four year degree, whatever. He said, how about, I was 21 at the time. He said, how about you go out to Los Angeles and I'll give you a small stipend. He gave me a small amount of money to live on. And he said, well, do this for four years and do whatever you can. And if it doesn't work out, come back home. And so I, (laughs) it's fantastic. And so I went there and I did not muck around. I, I had this small amount of money. So like I didn't have to worry about paying my rent uh, which was you know a godsend and i worked my little tushy off trying to i felt once i got there, I, I i went to be an actor and literally on the first tuesday at the lee Strasbourg theater they put you on film on video and they played it back and it was the worst thing i have ever seen of <laughs> any audition i've seen since Passed the whole thing and i thought oh my goodness I've made a terrible, terrible mistake, and <laughs> I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't tell my dad this. Um, and I first blamed the the writing, and so I started to write my own scenes. The acting didn't improve, but that's when I discovered writing.
0: Oh wow!
2: That's a, that's
0: a great story. But I mean, growing up, first of all, we should we should talk about. For, for for the Americans who don't know who Ray Cooney is, we've sort of jumped over that. But Ray Cooney, would you compare him to sort of a sort of a British Neil Simon, like he has that kind of uh, reputation um, in London? Um, you know, no. I th- more- yes,
2: I think that that is the best comparison is is, is to Neil yeah. Simon. I think Neil's work has translated to the film world much more successfully, but. My dad, I think he's now written twenty-six plays. They've all been in the West End. I think as you pointed out, his most successful, Run for Your Wife, ran for nine years in the West End. And that's just the West End. These plays are produced all over the world, in Paris, in Moscow, in high schools, in Iowa. They're everywhere. They are they are done and they are. But also your
0: father was well known as an actor. And yes. I, I would have expected you, growing up in that household, to have been jumping up onto the stage all the time, or brought on in child roles, or whatever. You did? Did you do that at all? No, I, I, I didn't do that. My that was. I never had, insp- you know,
2: aspirations to do that. I, there are people who who know from a very young age that's what they want to do. I, I, I didn't. I was, I was a. I was a shy child. Um, I I I didn't do. I didn't want to jump up on stage and be in front of people. No.
0: Okay. Um, we have to. We we have to um, ask you about the most notorious scene <laughs> in Jack Frost. Um, I have to think you ha- you probably thought twice before you decided to go there, and that is the notorious. Um,
1: Uh, Bathtub scene,
0: snowman, snowman in the bathtub scene. Um, The what? What we assume to be a sexual assault on, uh, on uh, assume. (laughs) um, What? uh, Well, again, as with if any, you could pick
2: any scene in Jack Frost, and I could tell you the disaster story that led up to why it looks the way it does. Oh, um, please
1: do, tell us all. <laughs> the
2: but that scene in particular, um the it was never meant to be a sexual assault. That was the, and and but 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 yes, I totally get that it is and full-on responsibility for what, what it is. It was one of, it was probably the most complicated thing we shot. We shot it right at the end. We had one day on a sound stage. And bathrooms in movies—you always build bathrooms because they're tiny. But this bathroom, there were two bathroom sets. There was a, a, a real bathroom that we shot most of it in, and then there was that for that shot where Jack comes up out of the. There's a side angle on Jack growing out of the bathtub and then banging Shannon—a <laughs> oh, bad choice of words—back uh, <laughs> into the uh, back into the wall. And- Shannon,
0: Shannon Elizabeth in the in the role that launched her career, the
2: role of a lifetime. Aren't <laughs> absolutely, you? absolutely. But yeah, no, and she she was lovely, and she this. So this scene, the scene that it's a complicated scene. So the second set, the the, the uh, it's built onto a a gimbal and a truck that goes back and forth. It's scissor lifts that go up and down. She the there is a stunt. The stunt coordinator was strapped into Jack Frost. And Shannon is strapped onto him inside, and this whole contraption it lifts up like eight feet in the twelve feet in the air, and then goes back and forth. And in the script, he smashes her head into the wall. That's what he's doing. Is he's sliding back and forth and smashing her into the her head into the tiles um, and killing her that way. And this thing is taking forever to shoot, and we've got limited time, and the the stage manager's looking at his clock. And it won't work. The stunt won't work. The scissor lift don't work. And finally, we get this thing to work. And it goes up in one shot. And it starts to bang her back into the wall. And the carrot hits her in the eye. And so we have to bring it down, and the medic comes on, the nurse comes on and looks at her eye and puts the salt water in her eye and everything. And Shannon's being Shannon is poor thing, she's this actress completely naked and strapped into covered with shaving foam and it's freezing, got the whole thing. And she's fantastic. And but now she gets a carrot stuck in her eye. And <laughs> so we hold that out and, and we're running, we've got no time. We don't have the shot. Stage manager's saying, use that shot. Said, it doesn't work. So we I we take the carrot out, and you can see that the carrot, that the nose is just filled with shaving cream. That I think I might have just gone and put shaving cream in it, and we film it, and, and it. But then it goes all great. Then everything films really well, and three weeks later, I we're in the editing booth, and the editor looks at me and goes, "Well, you know what it looks like, don't you?" <laughs> and at that point, you have to go, "All right, what am I going to do?" And we lent into it, and. I don't know now um I'm 50 something or other and I got kids and whatnot. Would I make the same choice? Don't know, but I wasn't. And I thought it was really funny at the time. I
0: mean,
1: and it's so very, It's very memorable.
0: But you, you're saying on the set, you didn't think that it was, that no. it could be interpreted. No, as no, a we were, it, it, there was no,
1: as
2: any of these sexy scenes that you, you shoot when you're shooting them, they're not sexy. There's, Crew around that you're not that's not where, where your brain my brain was going, oh my god, I hope this stunt doesn't go wrong. There I've got an actress strapped to a snowman twelve feet in the air on a scissor lift flying back and forth. This is so dangerous. What was I thinking? <laughs> and it's only later when you look at what you've actually got that you, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Really? It does look like that. And so which is why. What we lent into it, the shot that happens after it, which is Jack putting the carrot back in, yeah. if you look at that, it is one of the prettiest shots in the entire movie. And that is because we had all day – when we realized that, during editing, we went back and filmed that little sequence of let's put the carrot back in and hope it was good for you too, honey. And <laughs> we just had all – it was the, the only – everything was a giant rush, you know, 60, 70 setups a day, that ridiculous sort of filming. But the... Uh, that we had all day to film, and that it looks gorgeous. And there's a whiff of there's smoke coming out of his pipe that's backlit, and oh, it <laughs> looks divine. It looks nothing like the rest of the movie. <laughs>
0: um, you mentioned before that the movie was kind of plagued by a series of of disasters, starting with the fact that there was no snow for the first time in history up in <laughs> Big Bear. Um, but um, the the you you shot in '93 and '94, but the film wasn't released for uh, three or four years. What what was the what was the what was the holdup? Yeah. So what happened was
2: uh, it was Prism that, that found the bargain basement script and said, "Can you make it for a million dollars?" Um, and so Prism made it. There we were in pre production. We had built one of the snowmen. We were about a week out from filming. And Prism went bankrupt. And they had, uh, I think they had, it was either five or seven seven films ready to go. And strangely enough, um, so they chose two of their films. They chose Jack Frost and they chose Leprechaun 4 to complete production. And weirdly, Leprechaun 4, uh, my wife was in leprechaun four but we did not know that we did not know each other this is 20 years before we met and we didn't and we often wonder what would have happened if there was if they had thrown some sort of party for the two would would we have fallen for each other 20 years before we actually did but that's so she is in in leprechaun four um so we made the movie uh the and a very famous banker, Lou Horowitz, uh, who was financing all of these low-budget movies. At in, when you say you had a million dollars to make it, you have to buy the money from Lou Horowitz. It costs a fortune, so you you actually end up, but it, I don't know, less than that. It was six hundred thousand, five hundred thousand is what you actually have to play with. Anyway, uh, we make the movie, and again, I wasn't there, but the story is that Lou Horowitz saw this movie. And went, what the hell do I do with this? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And if you do, if you compare it to the monster to the monster in, say, uh, leprechaun four, the, there's a, a spider leprechaun that in it that's absolutely fantastic. Jack is ridiculous. And <laughs> I understand Lou Horowitz, this very clever businessman, looked at this and went, I do not know what to do with this. And it sat doing nothing. He wouldn't sell it to him. He didn't sell abroad. He couldn't, he didn't know how to sell it. Apex, and I, I wish, I wish this story, I knew the guy's name. There was a marketing guy for Apex Entertainment who, the only reason we are talking about Jack is because of this guy. And he's a young marketing guy and he sees Jack Frost and he comes up with this idea for the lenticular box, for the, the, the poster, the, you know, the VHS, the, the changing face box. And he goes to his boss and says, I know how we can sell this and make a fortune if you can buy it for cheap enough. So Apex bought it from Lou Horowitz for $50,000. That's what they paid. That was their investment. And I do not know how much fantastic they have made a fortune. Apex eventually went bankrupt and became Unipix and they went bankrupt and sold it to somebody else. But the reason it got delayed is that it just sat on a shelf doing nothing because the banker who paid for it didn't know what to do with it. And then Apex came along and just marketed the hell out of it. And you would go to Blockbuster and some Blockbusters, you'd see 25, 50 copies of this thing that would just follow you around Uh, when you were looking at something to watch. And that's what did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So they didn't, they just did not know how to release it theatrically. Um, uh, um, Interesting. So, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, and and it, I talked about this a little bit on the show. It, it's a, it's kind of a, a downer, but yeah. but um, uh, Christopher Allport died in an avalanche not far yeah. from where you shot the film. Um, uh, you know, ten years later, um, did did were you were you close enough to him to know? the story behind that? No, I, I, I read that.
2: That was something that I discovered. And, and as I said at the beginning of this, he was one of the loveliest souls ever. He was the heart and soul of the crew, of the cast, that he would keep people together. He would rally the troops, um, always up for one more shoot. I mean, just an absolute darling. And that's what you heard across the board about him and his career. And yeah, I mean, the irony of it is just bizarre. But look, he that he was an extreme extreme sports guy. He, he we we had to stop him going off when eventually it did snow at the end of Jack Frost. Oh, uh, we we didn't want him going off doing things. But he that's what he lived for. He was a an adrenaline junkie. You'd never meet him because he was such this sort of sweet soul. But he that's what he loved, and it was absolutely tragic to read that. It was so sad to read that that had happened.
0: Right. Um, Michael, I I just saw on one of your, uh, I I saw on your IMDB that one of your credits is the show Center Stage. Is this the Center Stage in New York on the,
2: that's not that's not my credit. I oh it's okay. It's IMDb. I, I know I keep telling them it's not me. Okay. They take it off, and then six months later it reappears. Oh, okay,
0: because that seemed to be the weirdest thing. That's the Yankees network, you know, the New York Yankees <laughs> Um Yeah, that's not me. Okay. Why now why did you go so in a such a different direction for Jack Frost 2? Like taking it to the
1: um, that was very unexpected.
2: <laughs> well, I, again, well, here's when I didn't know that people were going to enjoy the humor of Jack Frost I, when I made it. That, and when they did, uh, where the, when the feedback came and when we were asked to make a second one, but make sure you, you lean into the funny, is that every choice uh, then went, w- w- what is a quirkier choice to make? Um mm. uh, I, and putting Jack on an island, anything that it just amused me, and and also because production, it the the from the first one the the hot winds that we had to contend with, and then the uh, the bitter freezing nights, I thought it would be better for production to, to set it somewhere that we can really control the the environment. So that's that that was of the and and trying to lean into. What would what is the amusing side of of Jack? Oh, you
1: definitely did that. <laughs> Do you watch this around the holidays, or are you kind of over it?
2: <laughs> no, I, I I watch it for sure. Oh, and um, this year this year is fun. I'm gonna my so I've got a big kids, teenagers, and we're gonna watch Jack Frost too for the first time this year. Oh They're God. just finishing up their online schooling, and then we're gonna have a. a no, a fun party watching Jack Frost too because their their granddad uh, is in Jack Frost too. So my dad plays Colonel Hickering.
0: Oh wow! That's
2: great. So they'll they'll get to see their granddad getting a spike through. Are you, are you
0: comfortable as a director? Would you like to direct more, or would you, or are you more happy with your computer, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, be, being a screenwriter?
2: i I loved directing it was great fun i I don't I, I don't need to do it again it is an absolute treat I enjoyed it I loved it I hope I uh, had a, a happy set people seem to enjoy being there and yes i i, I would I would love to direct I'm it, this stems back to you asking me did I rush up on stage as a little boy no I didn't the the, the gene that I did not get from my dad is. I don't want to say self-promotion is the wrong sort of word, but it's it's that ambitious gumption that I'm sure if I put myself out there and I've always needed someone to guide me and to, to prop me up. I, uh, my friends, Vicky and Jeremy, did that on, on Jack Frost. I've had managers and agents. And so I've never really self-promoted. I loved directing. It's great fun. Who wouldn't want to direct? It is wonderful fun. Uh, and so yes, if the opportunity happened again, I would jump at it. It, it would be fantastic to get behind the camera.
0: Well, we hope that.
2: Jack- as I said, my my wife is a uh, an actor, and she does these auditions. Now they're doing auditions from home. And I am so excited to direct, direct her auditions <laughs> and, um, and, we, and, we, and, we, and I'll make them more and more elaborate. And, and okay, now we're going to try, we're going to move from room to room and I'm editing it. No, we don't need to do that. Uh-huh. Honey. We just, Oh, come on. No, it's great fun. So yeah, no, it's I, yes, of course I'd love to direct again.
1: Speaking of your wife, please tell her Leprechaun 4 is awesome. and She's amazing in it. <laughs> she has a lot uh-huh. of fans Thank from you. that from, the, from our, our group.
0: Yeah sure um well we we'll, we will certainly be uh, has there been talk about Jack Frost 3 well people I, I i don't know
2: i don't know how you do it there's people I, i've people have said you could for some you know online fundraise yeah. for it um i don't know if Shudder is making um is is making original content uh yeah i i have i have the concept for it i've, I've actually got about a third of the script
0: written. Um, We we will put the word out. How much money do you need? (laughs) Do you need a million dollars? I I, I, I don't don't know. What was it, 27 million? That's what we're aiming
1: for. The original budget.
0: Uh, (laughs) We know you're the big budget remake. uh, So so, uh, another million dollar movie, is that what you're aiming for? Well, that would be the, the other thing. Would be is that is that in Jack Frost Two, the uh, part of the the
2: difference between the two movies is, is there were some choices made for us. Jack Frost Two is all digital. Um, all the, the way it was shot. It was actually one of the very first all digital movies shot. We struggled with the camera. Dean Lent, who did a beautiful uh, job on on the first movie. Um, the second movie looks terrific, but the, the camera these the very first digital cameras looks like it was shot in a handy cam sometimes, and it was we struggled with this camera this camera that has no depth of field it, it just absorbs light from everywhere. We, a lot of time was sort of wasted in production trying to film it digitally, and also some of the uh, the, the, the baby snowmen. Were shot digitally. I, 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 we would. This was a choices made for us. I would want to go back to what we did on Jack, which is all puppets, all just all having fun with it. That that would be the the low tech version. Yes, you could do Jack Three. Uh, we you obviously. There's digital ways to do it. I would not want to do that. I would want to go back and make a handmade movie, which I think would it, is there's more charm to it. And I think you can taste the love better okay. when it's handmade. Like that.
0: All right. Well, we, we'll, we, we will put out the word that, that you're working. However process. we
1: can help let us yeah. know we need Jack Frost three.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Michael.
0: Of course. We really, uh, really appreciate it. And, um, uh, and, and your, your, and, and Jack Frost, um, uh, continues to grow in popularity on our service. Uh, people go back oh, and read. And
2: look, if, if you guys, if you guys ever do you know, Jack Two and your lovely your, your Christmas show that you guys do, um, I'd love to be part of it. That we would, would love to
0: have, We great. would love to have you.
1: Let's do it! I want to do it so bad. Okay. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk to you.
0: You too. Bye, guys.